Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us this week and every week as we dig into this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. This week, we are going to be looking at worshiping the Creator. This is lesson number seven, so around halfway through, a little over halfway through our journey as we continue looking at the three angels' messages, these cosmic messages that God sends to us to help us know what's going on in our day and what the future holds and how we can be ready for Christ's soon return. Our guest this week, once again, is Pastor Mark Finley. He's an international speaker and evangelist. We're delighted to have him again this week. And we're going to have prayer and then dive right into this lesson. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for giving us an opportunity to delve more deeply into your word, to find encouragement, to find hope, to find help in times of need. And we ask that you'll bless us as we do so. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Mark, thank you once again for joining us. I have been really enjoying this. The dialogue is great. Two evangelists. I know. It's it's amazing that we get this into half an hour. That would be a tough, tough one to pull off. But by the grace of God, so far, so good. Lesson number seven, worshiping the Creator. We're in the middle of our journey together. We've looked at some bits and pieces of the three angels' message, uh, and we've got some more to certainly uh, go through. As we look at the book of Revelation, and, and certainly Revelation chapter 14, but Revelation as a whole as well, what would you say is the general theme, the, the big overarching theme that God wants us to get to, to grasp, to understand of the book of Revelation? Well, the great theme of Revelation, of course, is the the controversy between good and evil, this cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan. But at the center of that theme is the issue of worship. When you look at the book of Revelation, starting with chapter 1, you find Christ, the divine, eternal, everlasting Christ, is one worthy of worship. You go to chapter 4, and it's a worshiping scene. There are thousands around the throne of God. There are cherubims and seraphims and the four elders, the four beasts are there, you know, the symbolic beasts of worship. And the cry goes out, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. So his his worthiness for worship is because of creation. But then you go to chapter 5. Again, there's this beings worshiping God. And it says, you've redeemed us out of every nation by your blood. You've got worshiping beings. You go down to chapters uh, 14, which is the very heart of the book of Revelation. It talks again about worshiping the creator. So let's, let's go there to Revelation chapter 14, because this theme of worship, the worthiness of worship, and then there's the contrast between the two worships, the worship of the beast or the worship of the creator, is at the heart of this great controversy. Revelation 14 and verse 6 and 7, I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is coming, and worship him. There's our theme again, Pastor Eric. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. So in Revelation 14 and verse 7, you have the appeal to worship the Creator. In Revelation 14, verse 9, then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anybody worships the beast in his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand. In a future lesson, we'll talk more about that. But, but the central theme is worship. 
of Revelation. You go to Revelation 19 and you have it starting out with beings around the throne of God four times singing hallelujah. In Revelation, numbers are significant. Four signifies universality. So you have universal worship and praise. Then, of course, Revelation 21 and 22 end with the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth, and a scene of praise. So the great theme of Revelation is worship, and the great theme of Revelation chapter 14 is who we worship. Do we worship the Creator or do we worship the beast? And ultimately, everybody is going to fall into one of those two camps. There's, there's, right. no, there's no Switzerland at the end of time. You know, everybody's either inside the walls or outside the walls. Right. And the decisions, the choices that we make today about who we're going to worship, who we're going to follow, it's, it's often been said that the, the highest form of worship is obedience. Um, it's, it's easy to say you love Jesus, but it's a whole other thing to let him actually have say in your life and to, to make your decisions for you. And ultimately, at, at the end of time, there's a division of people that are going to take place, right? Exactly, exactly. In fact, it has to do with that text I just read, whether you worship the Creator in verse 7, worship the beast in verse 9, and then verse 12 summarizes it all. It talks to us about what it means to worship the Creator, what it means not to worship the beast. It says, here is the patience. Another word for patience from the original language is endurance of the saints and believers. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. The only way you can keep the commandments of God is if you have the faith of Jesus. And, but what is the contrast between worshiping the Creator, worshiping the beast, the essence of worshiping the Creator is having a love for Jesus that is so deep that we keep his commandments. And one of those commandments specifically talks about worshiping the Creator, namely the Sabbath. Right. So that day, that memorial, helps us to remember the fact that He is our Creator. It was established all the way back there at Creation Week and exists down through our day and will continue to exist throughout eternity. We, we live in a world today where it seems like an increasing number of people are saying, creation 6,000 years ago, but doesn't science tell us? And you get these millions and millions or billions and billions of years. It's, it's difficult, well, it's impossible to try to reconcile those, those two. We're either going to believe the Bible or we're not going to believe the Bible. Uh, science is a wonderful thing. Good science is an even better thing. Um, but the things that scientists find, they change over time. One thing I like about the Bible, it doesn't change. It remains the same, and it's something that we can absolutely trust. You know, if God created the world over millions of years, and if there was no original creation week, there would really be no reason for the Bible Sabbath, because the Sabbath is a memorial of a literal creation week. Also, if you accept the evolution in its, what, what the scientists would call it, some scientists, there are many creation yes, scientists. Absolutely. And there are many forms of people who believe in different forms of evolution as well. But if you accept what I would call pure evolutionary thought, the idea is we evolved from lower forms of life. Those lower forms of life died and higher life forms came out. So you'd have to have, before the creation of, before the evolution of human beings, you'd have to have death. So death would come before Adam and Eve because they would be higher forms of creation. 
If death comes before then, where does sin come in? So you really do away with the whole concept of sin. And if, and if you don't have like a rational choice where sin comes in and the wages of sin then is death, then there is no really reason for the death of Christ. So you've knocked out creation week. You've knocked out the Sabbath. You've knocked out uh, the salvation in Christ. You have really minimized what sin is all about. And you really have, again, undermined the whole faith in the Word of God. So evolution in its pure thought, logically, would have to lead to an atheistic point of view. And uh, for that to exist, one would then feel that there was nothing after the grave. So we are hopeless, filled with despair, where the Bible gives us such hope, such meaning, such purpose in life. I was created by a loving God. That God cares for me. That God is interested in me. That God has a plan for my life. That God will be with me in my joys and sorrows. And after death, one day, Christ is going to come. I can be resurrected and go home. The Christian faith gives you such hope. It really does. And this week's lesson is all about worshiping the Creator because He's the one who gives us that hope. He's the one who's made it possible for us to have eternal life. Without him, we would have no hope. Without him, we would have no eternal life. Without him, it would just be 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years on this planet, the latter part of which is probably in declining health and happiness sure. and, uh, and lack of hope. But fortunately, the Bible gives us a lot more hope. So in a practical way, understanding that we have a creator that he happens to also be our redeemer. How does that, in a practical way, impact our lives today? I think it impacts it tremendously. First, knowing that Christ created me, he cares for me. It gives me a sense of of, of worth. It gives me a sense of meaning. It gives me a sense of purpose. I'm not some speck of cosmic dust. I'm not simply genes covering, uh, skin covering bones. when the genes and chromosomes came together to form the unique myological structure of my personality, um, it was a designed by God. You know, I, uh, we're designed by God. We are, we are made by God. Now, are there aberrations? Yes. Um, are there anomalies because of sin? Yes. But that does not make us less valuable to God. God is still creator. He is still creator. And I, and I think the thing to me that makes this so practical is... God created us, therefore we have self-worth. The one who created us cares for us. We have a God who's with us, who says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. The one who created this world holds this world in his hands, and one day he's going to come to redeem it. The fact of a creator gives us hope. There, If we can believe the numbers, and I think to some extent we can, there are rising numbers of people who are dealing with depression. Some of them are not getting the help that they need, finding the hope that they need, and we're seeing a number of, of lives, unfortunately, end in suicide. They, they lack hope, it would seem. What kind of hope can they find in this? What, we've touched on it some, but if there's somebody out there who's struggling with self-worth... Mm-hmm. How can they find hope in the fact that they have this creator, that they have this, this God who loves them enough to make them individually unique, even with all of their 
uh, their faults and shortcomings and that they may have heard too much about from someone. Um, you know, there's bullying, whether it's in person or online. A word of hope for folks who may be You know, there is that. an absolute wonderful passage in this 139th Psalm that to me is one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible. It's Psalm 139, starting with verse 15. Here David writes. Now, you have to understand, if there was anybody that could be depressed, it was David. He's fleeing from King Saul, who wants to take his life, separated from family and friends, living often as a fugitive running in the wilderness. But David says, chapter 139, verse 13, For you formed me in my inward parts. You conceived me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 16, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all are written. The days fashioned for me when there was none of them. In other words, back in eternity. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Here's what I would say. God knows your name. He formed you. He created you. He's thinking about you, and he's there to give you support and encouragement. Those are encouraging words, and I hope that they're an encouragement to you, or if you know someone who could use that encouragement, share that Bible passage with them. We're going to continue our journey here through the God who created us, looking at him, looking at his relationship with us. It's part of these three angels' messages that we've been looking at week by week together, and I want to encourage you to get this copy of the book, The Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley, the complement to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. You will gain so much wisdom and insight by reading the words that are contained within these two covers. Add so much more to your study. Where can you find it? Itiswritten.shop. Go to itiswritten.shop and look for Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley. We're going to come back and pull some more ideas together into this, uh, into this idea of worshiping the Creator. Why is that important and how does it affect us in a real way? How does it impact with judgment? We'll be right back and find the answers to those questions. You see evidences of God's creative power everywhere. In animals, in the birds of the air, in plants and in trees. Have you ever stopped to look at a seashell? No, I mean, have you really looked? Have you stopped to think about what they are, what they're for, and how they're made? I don't think I know anyone who doesn't like seashells. Visit the beach and you'll find people walking with their heads down looking for shells, looking for something beautiful. In order to learn more about these incredible things, I traveled to Minnesota to talk with Marilee McNeilis, who has a remarkable shell collection. She's been shelling for years. She even has a shell named after her. And her experience with shells has given her a close-up view of God's incredible creation. Seashells, wonders of creation. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're taking a look at worshiping the Creator as part of our journey through the three angels' messages. Pastor Mark, as we work through work our way through this week's lesson Wednesday, 
talks about the gospel judgment and creation. What relationship do, do the gospel and judgment have to creation? How are those intertwined? You know, Eric, there's sometimes people don't think very much about the interrelationship between the two. So let's explore that a little bit. How does gospel and the judgment relate to creation? First, the important thing is understanding who the creator is. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, now remember in Revelation 14, verse 7, there is a call to fear God, give glory to him, the reason because the hour of his judgment has come, a unique time in earth's history, and to worship the creator. Who is the creator? Ephesians 3, verse 9. And do you want to read that one? Sure. It says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So God is the master designer of the universe, but Christ becomes the active agent in creation. This is also mentioned in Colossians chapter 1. So we can go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. And uh, let me pick those up and read them. Colossians 1, verse 13 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God. That's Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn there is an interesting word. You know, David was considered the firstborn of Jesse, but he was actually the seventhborn son of Jesse. So he... The firstborn is the one who has preeminence. Christ is preeminent over all of creation. It's an interesting Greek word. Firstborn, not in the sense of lineage, not in the sense of the first who was born in the world, but firstborn had the title, had the privileges of the Father, received the inheritance. So Jesus is the preeminent one. He has the title deed. He is the one who has the inheritance over all creation. For by him, that is Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So since Jesus was the active agent in creation, since he was the one who created the world, he has the right to redeem the world. Since Christ is eternal, if Christ was not the creator, if he was not eternal, then he could not offer eternal life. Um, Why is it that no angel could have in any way died? Because they did not create life in the first place. And secondly, they're not eternal. They're not eternal. Now, some people have the idea that Christ came forth from the Father. You know, that he came... He was like only begotten of the Father. The word only begotten is a Greek phrase, monogenes. It means one of a kind. Christ is the unique one. It's not that there was a time he was not. But if you say that there was a time that Christ was not and he came forth from the Father, that means that Christ is limited in time because it was a point that he was not. If you say that, that means he didn't exist longer than he existed because eternity in the past is infinite. So that means that he could not offer eternal life for us because he doesn't have eternal life. He was not eternal. So the gospel and creation are very much linked. Christ created us. Therefore, as the eternal Christ who brought life into existence, 
He is the only one in the universe who has the right to redeem us, do away with creation. You really impact the gospel. If you, another aspect of this, I think we bring out here in the lesson, and you may want to read this for us. It's uh, on page 60 in the lesson. It's the first paragraph under that section of questions that begins with, look at how closely. It says, look at how closely tied Jesus as creator is to Jesus as redeemer. The moment that his role as creator is diminished, as evolution inevitably does, his role as our redeemer comes into question as well. Jesus comes to redeem us from sin, from death, from suffering, and from violence. When sin, death, suffering, and violence are, as evolution teaches, the very means of creation itself. God redeems us from the very process he used to create us to begin with. It's a dangerous lie. It is. Sure. That's where that goes. So creation and also uh, the gospel and redemption are linked, but also judgment. Because if we simply evolved, it means we are products of our heredity and products of our environment. That um, human beings don't have much choice. There is a school of psychology called determinism taught by one of the Midwestern universities for years. And determinism says that you are placed here beyond your choice, that you are shaped by your environment, shaped by your But the gospel teaches we have the power of choice. Take away the power of choice, there's no basis for judgment. Because if I am simply a biological creature, product of my heredity and environment, and if I don't have choice, then judgment would be terribly unfair. But the judgment, creation, gospel, and the judgment are linked together. There are a great many people today who would just as soon not be judged. They would prefer that they had no one to answer to and that they could simply blame their actions or inactions, as it were, on heredity, on my genes, on my parents, on my uh, environment, on my upbringing, and therefore I'm not responsible for what I, for what I do or don't do. Um, while that may seem like a wonderful fantasy world to live in, it's not reality, Uh, And there is actually a judgment. So it would seem that the wisest thing to do would be to accept the fact that there is a judgment. But the good news is you've got someone in the judgment who's on your side as well. Exactly. You know, we don't deny as Christians and as Bible believers that our heredity plays an influence. It does. We don't deny that uh, environment plays an influence. It does. But there's a power stronger than heredity, stronger than environment, and that's the power of the living Christ. We believe that when a person makes a positive choice to serve God, that there's a power that enters their life stronger than heredity and environment. And you may be watching this program today, and you may be saying, you know what, I come from an absolutely terrible environment. I got terrible genetic heredity. Um, I've been around a, a home, family life that is non-Christian, and I'm really uh, torn apart because I just don't seem to be able to control my actions and behavior. Your heredity does play an influence. Your environment does play an influence, but there's a greater in, in, than that. You know, the Bible says in John 1, verse 12, as many believe as believed him, to them gave he the authority or the power to become the sons of God. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says that if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. So the God who created us in Christ in the first place wants to recreate us in his image if we let him, if we come to him with all of our weakness. You don't have to worry about getting cleaned up before coming to Christ, or you don't have to worry about having victory. It's like the person who says, hey, I can't go to the hospital. 
until I get cured of this sickness. No, not at all. We come to Jesus just as we are, just like we go to a hospital sick. But Christ himself takes us, changes us, and the Creator recreates us because he is our Redeemer as well as our Creator. So there's good news of hope that God, where we may not be able to change ourselves, Christ can change us if we let him in and give him the uh, the reins, as it were. I've, I've often seen uh, bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot. Um, I, I often think that's a little mistaken. If, if God's your co-pilot, you probably need to change seats. He needs yeah. to be your pilot and not, uh, not the one who, who takes plays second fiddle. You mentioned a little bit about the idea of creation and how that relates to Christ's death on the cross. You want to expand on that just a little bit more in the in a little sure. bit of time we have left? The creator, the one that created life, the one who existed from eternity, Jesus Christ, tabernacled in human flesh. He came, lived the life we should have di- lived, died the death we should have died. And you know, on the cross in um, John chapter 19, It talks about Christ's last hours on the cross. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The disciples forsook him and fled. But there in those last moments of Christ's life on the cross, he he speaks, a thief is saved or redeemed. As Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. But in John, the 19th chapter, Notice Christ cries out, and um, maybe you could read verses 28 to 30 there, Pastor Eric. Verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. There are three places in the Bible that says it is finished. After creation, God finished his work. It is finished. The creator rested on Sabbath in memory of that perfect creation. On the cross, when the plan of salvation was finished, the atonement was complete. The creator of the universe, who tabernacles in flesh, dies and says it is finished. And at the end of time, in Revelation 15, the announcement goes out, it is finished, it is finished. So the good news is this. This world will not go on in an endless cycle. The one that finished creation, the one that finished the plan of salvation on the cross, is going to finish his work at the end of the judgment hour, and Jesus is going to come. Those are encouraging words, and I hope that they are encouraging to you. This week, we've looked at how we can and should and ought to and have no reason not to worship the Creator. He's our Creator, He's our Redeemer, and He's the one who's preparing a place in glory for us, a place that He wants you to inhabit, a neighborhood He wants you to live in, a house that He wants you to live in with Him. We're going to be back again next week as we continue our journey through our study of the three angels' messages. Pastor Mark, thank you once again for joining us. And thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again next week.